If you were building a Pac-12 super team by position groups, which school's position groups would you take? There's a kicker controversy that got caught on by HBO's cameras, and Herm Edwards is involved. Larry Scott, of course, he puts his foot in his mouth again about players being paid for their name, image, and likeness. And, of course, we go over all the games and make predictions for this week. And we got a side of basketball on the back end for you guys. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amston, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Ralph, this feels like a very, very important weekend for the Pac-12. I mean, there is only, there's one non-conference game, but at some point in time, the underdogs have to stop winning because it is destroying the, the Pac-12's national perception. People don't understand the parity. They just, on the East Coast, oh, they, they all just suck. That's why they lose. And they don't understand that. So isn't it important to have some dominant teams? I think I think so, because that's what people respond to. People who don't know the sport that well or who sort of casually pay attention. Um, think about it. Like, I, I've never been. Um, I'm from Wyoming, which I say quite often. Uh, but if I ever went to New York, like, man, there's a lot of really big buildings. It's not something that I'd be accustomed to living in Arizona, being from Wyoming. Um, but where am I going to go? You know, I'm going to go look for the biggest buildings, the ones that I read about, the ones that make me want to come to that city. Like that's, you know, that, that, that that's just a normal thing. That, you know, the biggest and the best is the thing that sort of attracts our attention. And I'm sure all the rest is worth seeing as well. Um, but if you're not familiar with what's going on, if you're not naturally sort of born into that space, then, yeah, you need something to initially get your attention. And that's probably going to be a dominant team for most people. You know, I don't know everything in the world about the, the SEC. Um, you know, I probably know more than most college football fans just from the level that we have to pay attention to this stuff just to keep up but i but i do know that i pay a little bit more attention to the sec you know just to, I, I always check in to see what bama did always so i i yeah it's important um at the end of the day is it vital i don't necessarily think so i listen to a lot of people complain about the fact that people treat it like it's vital, um, but then those people are sort of like pendulum shifting all the way to the opposite side of not acknowledging how important it is to have a team that can get people's attention. Oh, I totally agree. Because look at the SEC in general. You have, you know, they have teams. Granted, their their schedule lends itself to this. I understand with the eight conference games, the three terrible non-conference games, and I think only one or I think only South Carolina, um, and Florida and Georgia play ten non-conference games. I'm sorry, ten Power Five games this year, and maybe Texas A&M. I'm not 100 percent sure. But you, but you have teams in the at the bottom half of the SEC is terrible. You got Arkansas, Mississippi State, Texas A&M is severely overrated. Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Tennessee, and South Carolina are all just doormats, dude. They're just doormats. So, 
And but the top of the conference is really, really strong. I mean, kind of the same thing in the Big Ten. The Big Ten, you obviously got Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin is looks really good this year. And Minnesota, I'm sorry, and Michigan's even pretty good, but the but the rest of everybody is eh. Big 12. You got Oklahoma, Texas, and Baylor, and nobody else scares you. And the ACC, you got Clemson, and then nobody else scares you, except Virginia is pretty good, too. I mean, that's literally it. And in the Pac-12, you have Oregon at the at the top, Oregon and Utah at the top right now. And then everybody else is just kind of fighting for fighting for the scrap. Well, sorry, and Arizona State. Um, and everybody else is just kind of, you know, fight, fighting to be there, fighting every single time because bottom of the conference – the Pac-12 is the only conference where the bottom of the conference has a legit chance against the like three through three through eight. You know what I mean? Like in the other conferences, you don't have that. If you're at the if you're the number twelve team or number eleven team, like UCLA was, and people thought so highly of Washington State, that doesn't happen at other uh, conferences. They don't win those games. It's just not even possible for them in those years yeah i mean it becomes like a national story right if kentucky hung with alabama for a half for a half not one but if they hung with them for a half and the and the pac-12 you can pretty much expect that every single week i mean i'm i'm something like eight and one the last two weeks in picks just from relying on that information alone (laughs) right right and i am like three and i'm like Three and what? What three? Three and five or something like that. It is, or three and three and six. It is just awful, dude. It is just awful. Um, but before we even get into the games and all that stuff, dude, what uh, you were explaining this kicker controversy to? Oh man, you guys. First of all, before we even get into this, uh, you guys, thank you guys for listening to the Pack Twelve Apostles. Make sure that you guys share the feed. Tell a friend about the Pac-12 Apostles because this is the podcast for us. Pac-12 people who love it. We give you real stats, information, you know, better than all the other podcasts. So we thank you for your time. And uh, yeah, so yeah, so there it is. And if you have not, I know it's a kicker, but if you've not heard about this kicker controversy and the softness that is going on right, right now, please, please listen to Ralph explain this. All right, so <laughs> a little bit of my background. I um, I cover high school sports as well as college. And so, you know, about half my time is taken up uh, covering high school recruiting, some of the major West Coast recruits, uh, and then just basic stuff um, for uh, the high schools in Arizona. So, you know, I'm, I'm out at two or three games every single Friday night, and I've been doing that for like eight years. And I love it. And uh, and so I've uh, there's a kicker who just announced that he's leaving Arizona State. His name is Brandon Reese, and I have covered this guy for five years at least. He's from right here in Gilbert, Arizona. He went viral for kicking some 70-plus yard field goals with the wind at his back. Um, it led to him committing to Alabama – and then making national news for flipping to Arizona State, telling Nick Saban, sorry. Uh, and you know all the issues that uh, that Alabama has had at kicker. So, you know, being being the number one rated kicker in the country and then calling 
Nick Saban to tell him that you're going to go to ASU. Um, you know, at the same time that like his former quarterback, Blake Barnett's transferring to ASU and his former wide receivers coach, Billy Napier is moving to ASU. It, it, Nick Saban had to be pretty annoyed with Todd Graham at that point. So uh, Brandon Reese is his name. He, uh, he He's a fantastic kicker. He took over for Zane Gonzalez, who I believe is either the Pac-12 or college football's all-time leading scorer, current kicker for the Arizona Cardinals, uh, on pace to break the record for most field goals in a season right now. So he's taking over for the best kicker, if not in Arizona State history or Pac-12 history, maybe in college football history. And uh, <laughs> and so there's a big shoes to fill, and he does okay. He, he spends two years. Uh, here he, he goes 37 of 45 last year. He went 18 of 22 his first year in Herm Edwards offense, kicked the game winner that beat Michigan state, probably the highlight of his career, you know, 81% on field goals, not bad for a college kicker. because we all know how volatile they can be. Uh, this whole time he's had a backup, a walk-on named Christian Zendejas. And if you've ever heard of a kicker with the last name Zendejas, uh, you should have, they've kicked for everybody. It's all one giant. Family. It's almost like uh, like the Von Trapps or, you know, like a circus family. Like everybody in this family kicks footballs. And so uh, Christian Zendejas is Brandon Reese's backup. And when Herm Edwards comes in, you know, just for the spirit of competition, he opens it up and he says, you know, best players win at every position. And Brandon Reese, viral kicker, you know, super leg, uh, he doesn't like that too much. And so he's having to look over his shoulder for an entire year. And he gets hurt going into his junior year this year when everybody's really excited to see what he can do because if if you know anything about Herm Edwards-led offense, it's that the kicker's going to end up getting a lot of chances to score points. He comes into this year hurt, and it was a little bit of a surprise to everybody that he was hurt. Nobody knew that he wasn't starting their first game until he didn't come out for it in pads. So uh, the Zendejas, the backup kicker, up to this point in the season, has has held down kicking duties. He's 10 of 13. He's doing okay. I think he won Pac-12 Special Teams Player of the Week one week. Um, and uh, also, they gave him a scholarship. ASU gave him a scholarship for his efforts. Well, Brandon Reese looks at that and says, like, the backup kicker, who I'm constantly worried is going to take my job because this coach that didn't recruit me, you know, uh, had opened it up for a competition. They've given quotes to the media about how accurate this kid is. Um, even though, you know, Reese has the much stronger leg. They've given quotes to the media about how accurate this kid is. Now they're giving him a scholarship, and he's he's pretty paranoid, right? Like, I'm going to lose my job going from the best kicker in the in the entire country to not, not having a job. So he decides to transfer. Well, ASU needs him, so they talk him out of transferring. And he uh, – he um, – the the story is what ASU is telling people is that he went out for the Colorado game and he was healthy and ready to go. And there's plenty of videos out there of him kicking 50 plus yard field goals in warmups against Colorado. But then all of a sudden he announced like, actually I'm not healthy. And, uh, and so that put Herm Edwards in a position um, to, in a press conference this week in front of HBO's cameras to say that Brandon Reese actually like, uh, tweaked something and is still hurt. And then right after the press conference, Brandon Reese announces that he's going to be grad transferring from ASU with two years of eligibility left. Um, and so, you know, the, the story ASU's putting out there is that basically this kid faked his injury so that he could redshirt. 
um, because he doesn't want the competition with somebody who ASU has repeatedly told him, like, is not better than him, is not ready yet, you're the guy. Uh, so Brandon Reese comes off pretty bad in this, but also is probably one of the top five kickers in the country, and anybody in in college football would be crazy to not want him. Um, but the the ASU Twitter has been abuzz with calling this kid about every every name in the book. Some people are wishing him well, um, but there are quite a few people, even like former ASU punter. Um, is on here, you know, uh, call, calling them all sorts of names and calling them out and stuff. And I just wanted to get your take, George, on I, if you've ever heard of anything like this, of the starter. I mean, do, we watched Derek King quit, um, and he was a starter at, as a Houston quarterback. But this feels a little bit different. This is absolutely ridiculous. So, f- first of all, you are on track to break all of the college football records, right? I mean, yeah, he, he he's he's pretty good, and he, yeah. in this offense, I mean, had he been healthy this year, he'd be at forty-seven field goals, two and a quarter years into his college career. Okay, so and then you got Zendejas, who can't kick field goals over over forty yards or barely or barely over forty yards, and Herm yeah. Edwards needs a kicker who can kick the ball over forty yards. And right. just in this offense, very much you're going to be kicking 45 to 53 yard field goals all day. And the confusing part is that he's upset that he has to look over his shoulder, that there is competition. Um, How about check every other position group in sports in the history of life? Dude, there is competition. Stop acting like a softy. Like, stop. I, I mean, it is just so frustrating. There's a kid on my on my son's football team. He ended up the starting quarterback because he was the incumbent. Oh, the year's not going the way where he played. And I told I told my wife this. I told told my son this. I was like, this kid's gonna quit because he's the kind of kid that wants to go to a ready made high school. He he thinks he's a double holdback. Thinks he's gonna go in and start somewhere. And I'm like. You know it's a lot more difficult than you think it is, right? And then also, if you're gonna, and he wants to go to a really good program out here in in LA, well, in the in the Valley, and I'm like, okay, you got Oaks Christian, which everybody's heard of. Oaks Christian's here, Acadian, Chaminade, and and Alamany, which went down there to Arizona and beat up Arizona's in the number one team. So he wants to go to one of those schools, right? Those those schools are a tick below. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, St. John Bosco and Modern Day, like that, like they're just a tick below there, and and I'm like, I was talking to my son about it after practice when he when he told me, I'm like, well, you do know that all those good teams, the reason why they're so good is because they have a quarterback already, all right? So, so or they have court kids in the pipeline, yep. so you're gonna have to compete. And he thinks he's just going to walk in there and start. And I'm like, it doesn't quite work like that. You're going to have to compete. And he's the kind of kid that'll transfer five times if the CIF will will let let him until he finds a place where you know he can go be the guy, and without without you know any roadblocks in front of him. But here's my other part about this kicker kid because I think this this is very interesting because I'm wondering, did he miss these two twenty some yard field goals on purpose? Because if he's that accurate, you don't just miss twenty some yard field goals. One right. maybe, but not, 
but not two, especially right. after you've so, been on video kicking 50 yarders. Yeah. Like, this is lame. So that's the story is that in warm-ups for the Colorado game that he um, made some long field goals and then missed some chip shots and said that he, it was because he was hurt. And, you know, ASU is saying, no, it's because you want to preserve your red shirt. And, you you know, we tried to convince you to leave and, or to stay. And, and, and he, you know, he, he hesitated. The, the best thing for him to have done here is just to say, like, I want to leave and then left. But to, like, double back and then, and then you know, be, be in a situation where you're being accused of um, – of faking an injury so that you don't have to play. It's pretty serious. It's pretty serious stuff. Not serious enough. I'm telling you not serious enough. If you're a fan of any other college football team to not want him (laughs) on your team immediately. I mean, he's going to be in ridiculously high demand. And I think that, so that's part of it. It's just knowing that, right? So we're, we're sort of in a culture where it's 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 I'm, I'm gonna go somewhere where I'm more appreciated oh do you know um, where do you know where he'll be appreciated do you know where he'll be appreciated <laughs> I, I think will, I know where you're going I will take him and all his little soft baggage and I will I will fly them up to Eugene myself I will I would pay for a ticket and his relocation myself to get him to go kick for Oregon. I think Oregon's kicker is like three for four right now this season. I think he's three for four. And I mean, and the reason well, why no, wasn't his first field goal. Wasn't no, no, no. So I mean, I meant one for four. I didn't mean three, three for yeah. four. Yeah. I meant one for four. I mean, he missed three for four. <laughs> yeah, dude. His first field goal was la- his first mate. Lewis's first field goal made was last week and the kicker who was there last year, he transferred. I mean, it, it it's just absolutely astounding like how bad Alabama and Oregon for two really good teams, well-known <laughs> programs who can recruit very well, their kicker si- situations are just unthinkable. I mean, it is just unbelievable how often that they have bad kickers. I mean, it is just it's just fascinating to me. And and if people know college kickers, college, college kickers are unreliable. Very unreliable. Yeah. Um, but the uh Well, he he went three for three at Oregon last year, so you know he can kick up in Eugene. Yeah, yeah, dude. It's 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 easy to kick there, and a the majority of the time you're not even gonna have to kick fifty yarders. You you're gonna be kicking 40, 43, 38. Like, because they're always close to the end zone. So just, so just, just make your field goals, and you'll be the most beloved kicker there, the most beloved kicker. Like they will love you for making field goals, dude. Um, but 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 this kid potentially missing the field goals on purpose. This is like me and my wife. Like when when there comes <laughs> like some piece of paperwork that I don't really want to fill out. Like there have been times where I feel I, I know she's not going to listen to this. So if you know her, please don't tell her. <laughs> there have been times where I have incorrectly filled out paperwork like years ago because she's so great at it and she does it better anyway. That and she and she just at times feels like oh my god, I wish you would do some of this too. Or a couple couple times, I didn't do my best effort on this paperwork. And then she saw it, and she was like, 
let me let me just have it. I'll do the paid paperwork. You do this this other stuff. And I'm like, cool, no problem, which is what I wanted. So I got to sabotage the situation <laughs> to get what it. Um, yeah. Manipulative, yeah. Um, on to the next thing. So uh, it's a, the Pac-12 teams by position groups. And Ralph tweeted out earlier this week, if you were building a Pac-12 super team, who would you, which position group? So not each individual player. We'll get to that on another episode. But because that completely changes things, whether you would take a player or the entire position group. So if you were building a Pac-12 team by position group, we can even start with punter. We'll, we'll start with punter and go all the way up to the most important position, quarterback. And I'll I'll start off first. If I am... Going with a position group, I mean, nobody knows or has seen a backup punter punt. So, 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 guess what? You're just going to take the best, best punter, and that is Michael Turk from Arizona State. The kid is, I, I'm assuming his dad is Matt Turk because because these kicking things, the, these kicking families, just, it's his okay, uncle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's his. Yep. So, so yeah, Arizona State's in the family business now in both the kicking and punting departments. Turkins and Dejas. So I am going with Michael Turk in the kicking department. Who you got, Ralph? Yeah, I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm, I'm probably going to have to go with the same um, just from watching his opening game this year where he, I mean, it uh, honestly felt like he was going to kick the ball to the moon um, and also somehow managed to have touch on the ball when necessary. And he's, I mean, outside of that first game, which was the best I've ever seen a punter play in my entire life, and I'm not being hyperbolic, uh, he's had a good year. Um, not it's it's not any been anything like that first game. That was, you know, that was Kobe scoring eighty one. You know, but like it, the the rest of the year, he's been pretty good. And so you just have to assume that like he his baseline is really good, and he has it in him to do really special things. So it would be hard to go with anybody over him. Yeah, yeah, dude, dude. His his long yeah. is seventy five. He's got 12 punts inside the 20, 10 50-plus yard punts. Nobody else is even close, and he's only got two touchbacks, and he's averaging 48 yards a punt. I, I'll take – I hope he wants to transfer. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll take him at Oregon, too. Even though, even though our punter this year is not, not bad. He's fourth in the conference, so I'm not mad at that. Um, kicker. Kicker, Zendejas has the most – I mean – well, he's doing pretty pretty good, but eh, but right. he can't kick long field goals. So I gotta go with. So if I needed a like if I needed a kick for the win, I was either debating between Jet Toner because he's made a lot of big kicks, but then I gotta go with the kid Peyton Henry from Washington, who's eleven for eleven. That's who I want is <laughs> my kicker this year. But last year he shanked one against Oregon. So, so he might choke, or either either he's a choke potential choke artist like normal college kickers, or he was just a freshman and he and that was one of those growing experiences. If you're just going off of accuracy, then you know you, maybe you go Colorado or or Washington. You want somebody who can or or Washington, yeah. You want somebody who can kick long field goals. And Washington State's kicker is seven for seven on the year. Two for two from fifty plus. So I mean, seven goals through five six games is enough to show me that you can do the job. 
and being two for two from over 50 is the thing that, you know, my team's probably going to need. So I'd, I'd take Washington State kickers. Kicker or kickers? Blake, Blake Maza. Yeah. Blake Maza. <laughs> All right. Who are you taking on? Who are you taking at the D line position? What position group are you taking? Uh, Utah, Bradley and I, and Lucky Foto, I think, are probably two of the five best defensive linemen in all of college football. They play on the same team. Um, I think that that's the strength of Utah's team, and I don't really have Utah represented anywhere else uh, in this. And so I think that, that, yeah, to me, they're the they're the one I have to go with. And I would agree with you there because aside from like like there aren't any necessarily dominant fronts this this year like you may have seen at Washington a couple years ago, um, like you may have seen at you know like or or at Oregon when they had like the DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead on the same line. Like that's like you don't have that right now in the conference. Like you have a couple really good ones. So I went with Utah as well. And I, and I think that uh, Anai and Fotu, that they do a really good job of, of being disruptive. But in second place, I, I would have Oregon in second place. But not, not, now that Cumberlander is down, eh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, who do you have O-line? Uh, offensive line, I had it. Um, uh, I, it. This isn't necessarily a tie. Uh, but I, because I definitely take Oregon first and foremost, I think that they've they've shown that that they are have the most consistent uh, offensive line and and have done the best in both uh, you know pass block and run block. Uh, but I do really like what Washington has. Um, you know, uh, even outside of Nick Harris, they've got a ton of size. You know, they kind of made the exception for Nick Harris because he's really special player everybody else is just enormous and i feel like for the most part um they play pretty well and so uh, they didn't have the best game in the world against um stanford uh but nobody nobody in washington's team played well and so maybe I, I wouldn't put the blame on them at all but so i'd say it's not it's not even a 1a and 1b situation but i mean if it was like a draft type thing and you took oregon before me I'm taking Washington and not even having. Yeah, a I, I I got Oregon's offensive line and and it's because first of all they have the single best offensive lineman in the entire conference and it's not close and he's only a sophomore. The kid Panay Sewell, Oregon's left tackle, hasn't allowed a sack since he's been in college. I don't think, and he hasn't had a penalty either. I mean, and he's been playing dudes. He handled his business at Auburn, yeah. and they have the best defensive line in the country. I mean, it just and physicality is just. I mean, this dude just looks for contact, and he, and it almost looks like he's trying to hurt people, like hurt defenders. He's amazing. Uh, so Penesul, Shane, Shane Lemieux, Jake Hansen, Dallas Womack, um, and Throckmeyer have all been really good all year. That's my D line. Who you got? I'm sorry, that's my O line. Who do you have at tight end? Who? What group are you taking at tight end? Uh, this is another one where Washington's sort of my runner-up. Um, I do. I, I really, really like what Washington has going on. But if you don't have, if you're not taking Stanford's tight ends, I mean, what are you doing here? That I feel like that's the most obvious position group of every, of every single one that we're going to talk about. Maybe outside of wide receiver. 
uh, you got to go with Stanford's tight ends. And it doesn't even matter what year it is. It doesn't even matter what year it is. But, they, they again, they have special guys out there this year um, who maybe aren't incorporated in the offense as much as they should be, um, but they all seem to, to, to do pretty well um, post uh, <laughs> post-collegiately. So, uh, yeah, I, I feel like this is probably, the, if not the most obvious one, the second most obvious See, one. you got to go with Stanford. I, I, obviously, I think that Co- Cody Parkinson is a good, a good player. I think that he is, you know, he's an NFL talent. All, all of those things. But for this year, uh, in terms of – well, I, actually, it depends on what, what I want to do with my, with my offense because I want guys to be able to run, pat, uh, run, catch the ball, and all of that. And when you – the only other group that – the group that I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Washington's tight end group. They've been much hyped. But you got Kate Otten and you got Hunter Bryant. And Hunter Bryant – it. And they're very good players yeah. who did not show up against cor- Stanford. Cor- correct, and that, and and that's my one knock is that Hunter Bryant is not interested in the blocking game at all. Like he wants to be a wide wide receiver split out, and that's not. I mean, he's not a big guy. It's funny because he's like the same size I was in college. He's actually I'm, I'm a little bit bigger. He's six. He's six two two forty. I was six three two forty, and two two forty five. And except for he's not interested in the running game at all. He 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 wants to be split out. He wants to be a wide r- receiver, which I don't necessarily like because I like complete tight ends. And Kate Iden does a lot more of the dirty work. He's a little bigger, 6'5", 250. And, but I think that t- together they make one really good tight end. So that's why I'm going to take the Washington tight end group. Um, who do you have at linebacker? Uh, this one might surprise some people because I don't think everybody pays attention to what's going on uh, in the Pac-12 South. Um, but I have Arizona State because they have three guys who could start for anyone in Merlin Robertson, Tyler Johnson, and Darian Butler. They're all extremely young. They're all sophomores. Um, just incredible, incredible football players. Um, and uh, and Antonio Pierce has done a great job getting them here and coaching them up. Um, and then they their their backups, uh, Kalen Curse Thomas is the lone senior in the group. He could probably play for half the teams in the Pac-12. And then they've got a walk-on middle linebacker, 21-year-old freshman Case Hatch, who is a complete monster. Um, I feel like he could play for ten or ten of twelve of the of the Pac-12 teams and start. And then Kyle Soley, who is a very 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 talented outside linebacker. Um, who's another guy I feel like could play for 10 different teams in the Pac-12. And on, on the recruiting end, they just keep getting guys. Um, and so it, it, a lot of it has to do with just Antonio Pierce being in that position uh, as the as the head of that group uh, that they keep bringing in talent. So I'd want to bring the coach with uh, to ensure that that position group just keeps, you know, re- refilling. Um but, yeah, I, I really, really like what Arizona State has going on. I like how young they are. Uh, they've all been uh, playmakers. Uh, one of them, Darian Butler, is a captain. Uh, Merlin Robertson has I – mean, just look at it this way. You remember that score in, in uh, Eugene and at halftime between Oregon yeah. and Arizona State last year. Well, Merlin Robertson was suspended for the first half um, for a targeting call the previous game. When he got in in the second half, Oregon didn't score again. 
Well, so, that like, that was a that was another issue. That was that wasn't him. That was a that was a coaching issue. They and it wasn't the first time that they had trouble scoring in in a second half. They didn't. It it, it was just a complete disaster. Oregon's offense last year. It, it was a d- disaster, especially in the second half. But 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 yeah. But you can keep giving them all that credit if you want to give them all the credit. Like I think the kid's good, but. I'm not taking Arizona State's linebacking crew. You are biased here, Ralph. You are you you you've seen so much of them that that, that, that they're almost like your your uh your Khalil Tate Amsden group. You know you know it's okay though. Um, I'm taking Cal's linebacker group. I got Evan Weaver and I got Ding, who are Evan Weaver already has 84 tackles, number one in the conference. Uh, 48 solo tackles, and then who he's averaging 14 tackles a game. Nobody is even within three and a half tackles of this dude. And then you got there. Do you have to when you take Cal's linebacker group though? Do you have to commit to playing like a like? All right, so we're a four three because we need to filter everything to Evan Weaver because otherwise. Well, actually, you know. no, you don't because because Ding is getting nine tackles a game too. I mean, but you filter everything to. To uh to Weaver and Ding because they make tackles. They did the same thing with with Ray Lewis when he was in uh Baltimore. You just cover cover uh you have the D line take up all the blocks and then you keep him clean and that's what they do. And so I I can't knock it. I don't care what what front we play. He's a tackling machine. I got you. I'm taking cows. I'm taking cows linebacking crew. What DBs are you taking? Uh, this is a 1A and 1B situation for me. I got, I've got Cal and ASU. Um, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Okay. I know, I know you have an issue with it. And I, I do I do like uh, what Oregon is doing. Um, I just I, – I feel like the two uh, that have shown that they can, you know, defend against the pass uh, the most and are the deepest. Because we're talking about position group. We're not just talking about – the guys who are starting, like we're talking about the entire group, all the safeties, all the corners. And because of that, and, and, and part of this is from being so bad for so long, you know, both Cal and ASU were, were in the hundred and teens in passing defense just three, four years ago. So they had to rebuild through depth, both of them. And, and look at what they've done. Just in that short period of time, they've completely switched their mentality. They've completely switched their style. Um, they're a lot more aggressive. They're super deep. Arizona State at corner has two three-year starters. That's unheard of in college football. So they've got two three-year starters, and the nickel corner is Jack Jones, former five-star. Uh, their safeties have been their best players. Cal as a unit plays better together than anybody that I've seen in a while. Um, it would be awesome if I could if I could make my pick. First of all, Cal hands down would be my pick, but it would be great if I could reach over and steal a guy from Oregon like Thomas Graham or something like that. What you want, Thomas but, Graham? Are you? But kidding here, me? here's the deal. But you let me finish. But because it's a full position group, because it's everybody, I I I'm, I don't have Oregon in there. Um, and Oregon but, should not be the the number one team. They shouldn't. They you can debate that they're the number two team over ASU, but the clear cut number one team, the number one defensive back group is Cal. 
You got Cameron Bynum, Ashton Davis, Jalen Hawkins, and Elijah Hicks. This is a, I mean, and you got Ashton Davis, who's going, who was a former walk-on, who's going to be probably a first-round pick. He's number 27. I love this kid. I'm in love with the way he plays. He's physical. He's smart. He's the, he's the kind of guy. Their coach told me that he's the kind of guy that will drop, that if it's a fourth down and he has a clear inter- interception and it's not like a clear run back uh, opportunity, he'll just knock the ball down instead of, instead of intercepting the, the ball, that that's the kind of guy he is, that he's like, uh, I'm clearly going to get tackled here. So, uh, no, nah, I'll just not n- knock it down because it's fourth down and we'll take the ball way back there. And I like those kind of guys. So for me, Cal is a clear cut. You, you like to waffle a little bit and, and give and, and give credit to uh, to uh, other uh, other people, you know, give people participation trophies. I'm not about the participation trophies. I'm saying I just I watched it from Jaden Nails, uh, not throw any picks against this Cal um, defensive back group. So I don't know what I don't I don't know what you want me to say. He didn't have the best game Jay- of his life. Exactly. No, and and that's the thing about it. No <laughs> quarterbacks have the best game of their life in the last two seasons. Like truthfully, in the last two seasons against Cal's uh, defense, their their defensive backs specifically. There's only been one quarterback that had a great game against them. One. And that's Gardner Minshew. In two seasons, one quarterback has had a great game. And he didn't, and he barely pulled that great game out at the very end in the fourth quarter. He had like 150 yards pass and going into the fourth quarter, ended up over three, ended up with like 330 or something like that in a, in a win. Um, who do you have at now? Now we get to the fun groups, the 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 the, the money makers, the people who end up on all the billboards, all of that. What running back group are you taking? Oh, uh, this is the, this is tough, just because um, <laughs> uh, people will think it's weird. I think that, but Oregon State, like one hundred percent, Oregon State. Um, they're uh, Artavis Pierce and Jamar Jefferson are like the exact type of running back that, that I like. Um, they're, they're almost interchangeable. Um, they just run hard, right? They, they, they go North, South, they run hard. Um, you, you, you need to take the whole group as a whole. Uh, so you can't just be taking a, you know, a top player. Um, and then if I had a runner up here, I know you accuse me of waffling or whatever, but not even Arizona uses their running backs, but I really like Arizona's running back group. I think that they're five deep with guys who could all be 800 plus yard rushers if they were, you know, more featured in that offense, but they don't like to run. So they don't have the best uh, offensive line either, but I think the talent there, and I've got plenty of tweets when I tweeted this out that like, oh, you're just taking Arizona's running backs because Khalil Tate is a running back. No. (laughs) Yes. No. Uh, whoever said that, <clears throat> congratulations. You're telling the truth. But, I, I mean, I wouldn't go with Arizona first. I, I like Oregon State's running backs. Uh, I love the situation that they have. That's, I mean, to pair them with everybody else, it would be fantastic. Like, imagine those two running backs on a team that could block for them. And, and I'm not saying Oregon State's offensive line is bad because it is not. But, like, imagine them with Stanford's O-line or – uh, or Stanford's healthy O line, or Oregon's O line, like you wouldn't have to throw. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I, and I, we are lockstep in that one. I 100% agree. Uh, and, and then, truthfully, there haven't been a lot of running back groups that we've seen a lot of. The the only other one that we, we could even consider at all would be UCLA. And that's because, uh, I, obviously, uh, Demetric Felton has transitioned from being a wide receiver into being a running back. And I think he's leading, leading the conference in all-purpose yards. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I get that. And then I think that, I think that Oregon has some some or not Oregon. Um, I, I think that Utah has some a really good situation out there. But the one thing that I've always noticed about Utah is like you don't go off unless you're the feature back. For sure, for sure, for sure. And then and then UCLA the the, the other back there is Joshua Kelly. So I yeah yeah so I would have to give uh, them a lot of credit. But but first, obviously, you I think you do have to take Oregon State because first. Because first and foremost, they are the uh, they are the only position group that has two guys in the top ten in rushing in the Pac-12. So yeah. Oh oh. I mean, I'd love to, I'd, I'd like you said I'd love to take Eno, but like his backup hasn't even been to practice in a while. Yeah, exactly. So I don't. And, and, oh, and just and just so you know, Khalil Tate is in the top twelve in rushing in in the Pac-12. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm just I'm just saying. I'm just saying, and 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 he's also okay. number three in passing yards per game. So you know, anyways, um, a wide receiver crew. Who are you taking? I think this is an easy hands down. Do do we even have to like? I would I would probably take USC's one, two, three, and then the second group I would take is USC's <laughs> four, five, six. <laughs> This is the easiest thing in the entire world. Like you could open this up nationally and I would and then I'd be sitting there debating Alabama USC. I, I've so. been screaming USC all year that they have the best wide receiving crew. I know that Alabama has Jerry Judy and Ruggs, but beyond those two, that like yes, they have some talented guys, but it's not like when you go one, two, three, four for UCLA, I'm sorry, for, for <laughs> USC, one, two, three, four, Pittman, St. Brown. Uh, uh, yeah, Pittman, St. Brown, and Vons. You can match those three up with anybody in the country. Anybody. Oh, and those are all three dudes that Alabama wanted really yeah. bad too. So, yeah, no, they're yeah. They're there's fantastic. nothing to debate there. Quarter quarterback. Who are you taking, Ralph? This should this should also be a layup. <clears throat> oh, it is for me just because I mean I watched a lot of Tyler Shuck in in high school um and i think that if there's ever been a more perfect like backup for the starter who can do a lot of the things that the starter can do i mean he's not he's not as fast um but they're they very much stylistically are the same as passers and that's uh, you know Justin Herbert and Tyler Shuck and so um yeah for for me knowing that it's the whole position group and yeah Herbert's playing great and he's got a lot of hype Yada yada yada, whatever. But uh, but Tyler Shuck, if anything ever happened to Herbert, I I don't feel like the drop off would be all that much. Tyler Shuck is somebody I'm super high on. If if you can keep him clean, he is going to eat defenses alive. I cannot wait to see what he does up there. 
Yeah, I'm excited to see him play, too, mainly because Oregon's backup quarterback situation had been so bad for so long. Yeah. Yeah, Taylor when, when Taylor Alley came in, had to play. You, I mean, you, you've had so many. It's been a litany of guys. I mean, it go, goes back to T, TCU in the bowl game being up 31-0, the quarterback getting getting hurt and at right before halftime, and then you can't even get a first down after that. I think they got like two first downs in the second half. It was bad. Um but but a group tried to compete with the Oregon group at first, and that was USC. And then we found out their backup quarterback situation wasn't quite as good as we thought it was, that it was really the wide receivers. So And uh, Stan- Stanford's quarterback situation is not terrible either, only because – but if K.J. Costello had played better this year, then I would have gone with Stanford as a group because they got uh, – KJ Costello, uh, David Davis Mills, who who's played well, and then they had their third string quarterback come in against Washington, and he even played well. So and and finished out the uh, game. So you know, so the so Oregon is my one, and Stanford is my is my two. I'm 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 and now Ralph can call me out for being a hypocrite because I just wobbled too. <laughs> quarterback is like the healthiest position in the whole Pac-12. Like I, I like Oregon State's situation. I think that it's fine. Um, obviously Washington, yeah. I, and and uh, obviously like Washington State couldn't figure out what they were going to do until the end. They got two seniors that deserves mentioning. I think Grant Gunnell's going to be fine in in Arizona. So I think they've they've got a pretty good situation. Arizona State, if Jaden Daniels goes down, has two other freshmen and a redshirt junior. Like, they'll be okay. UCLA, for as terrible as they are, I don't think it's been all on the quarterbacks, and I think they have two two that are pretty talented. Let's get on to the games, which I'm excited about this, this weekend because, because if my prediction is right, I'm going to feel like a genius. The most important game in the Pac-12 this week, the most important game aside from um, aside from the the top teams actually winning, Oregon Oregon uh, facing Colorado, Utah traveling to Oregon State uh, is the oh and Arizona State hosting Washington State. The most important game besides those three, obviously, is USC heading to South Bend. They're playing Notre Dame. Notre Dame looks very good. USC just had a week off. They should be back healthy in their in their secondary. This is a rivalry game. They're playing for the Golden Shillelagh. Um, uh, Notre Dame's been pretty dominant recently, and I'm just sitting there like, okay. I predicted that USC either had to choose between the um, Washington game or this, either the Washington game or this Notre Dame game for a game to win. So I am going with USC in this game. Uh, they're taking on their third consecutive twenty uh, top twenty five opponent, and they're fourth in five games, which means that they are having a very difficult schedule. This is the the ninety first meeting for the jeweled sh- shillelagh. Sorry, not not golden. It is golden, but the the jeweled sh- shillelagh. And um, yeah, so oh, and Keaton Slovis has been cleared for full. Uh, uh, full uh, football activities, and he's going to start this weekend. I think he plays plays well. 
I don't think that they put the handcuffs on him. They just try to keep him healthy. And USC's wide receivers go in this game and dominate on picking the Trojans. Uh, I picked the Trojans for one quarter. <laughs> I just the more I look at this, the more I I I will not fall for Notre Dame being for real. I will not. I'm not going to be that guy. But they're real enough. They're real enough to give USC hell on Saturday, and I think that that's what's going to happen. Um, I I believe that this defensive line for Notre Dame is one of the best that they've ever assembled. Um, they have just been rolling. Uh, what they did to Virginia in that second half was, I mean, it was art. And I, I don't think that they're worried about USC in the slightest. And I think that Brian Kelly will be able to make adjustments to whatever is happening in the passing game. And so I do see USC kind of hanging around uh, much in the same way that Virginia did. You know, their scripted plays worked out. They marched right down the field. Um, I think Keaton Slovis, if he doesn't get rattled by having to play in South Bend, could maybe throw for 300 yards. Uh, but I just I don't trust USC's defense in this game to get the job done. So I am going with Notre Dame. I do believe that it will be a two-score Irish win. Anything beyond two scores, and Clay Helton has to start looking over his shoulder again. Oh, yeah, and this is where I'm confused about how USC fans truly feel about this game. I I know um, Notre Dame is your one of your two biggest rivals between them and UCLA, but Notre Notre Dame is the most notable. So, do you really want to win this game because that takes Clay Helton off the hot seat? Because so many USC fans want Clay Helton gone. So, do you really want to win this game, or do you? Because if Clay Helton beats Notre Notre Dame beats UCLA and possibly wins the back 12 South, he's not getting fired. So, so I, I feel like, yeah, I mean, if, if they, if they beat Notre Dame, you have to let him finish out the year. Like you can't, if you're going to do a mid season firing, it's got to happen in the next couple Correct. of days. Yeah. 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 It's got to happen after the Notre Dame game, because if you wait after the Notre Dame game, then Clay Helton is the kind of guy, like I've always said, he's not going to make firing him easy. Then they got Arizona, Colorado, who they're more talented than both of those teams. Then they play Oregon, which which they could sneak up and win because their they're doggone wide receivers are so damn good. I mean, there is a chance that they could win the Pac-12 South, and then you can't fire the dude. So if you're going to make a midseason change, it's got to be right. after – this this week because he won't then come back and lose to Arizona. I I want I could not agree with you more. I could not agree with you more. I think that that it's a it's a it's a bitter pill. Um but I know enough USC fans that would take the exchange of a loss at Notre Dame if for no other reason than we are currently two months away from the from the early signing period. And this recruiting class for USC is, it. I mean, if I'm being like Frank, this is a like a Utah recruiting class, and they don't know how to handle that. Like they they 
they keep holding out hope that like maybe they'll get you know the attention of some of these some of these kids and um they're either leaving California altogether or heading north to you know or staying in the Pac-12 but heading to Oregon or a, a linebacker um a linebacker just committed to Arizona State who was probably you know if not for Justin Flo would have been the number one linebacker in 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 um in all of California they're not going to get Sewell. They're not going to get flow. And I think that they're starting to panic about that, that maybe if they went out and got a coach that could come in and recruit like right away, if they can make this switch right away, okay. but they might be able to let salvage me, this recruiting class. And so I do know enough USC fans that, that let wouldn't me tell you how bad it is for, and then I'll tell you the, the ranking you mentioned their recruiting class The according to 24 seven, because yeah. that's what I have a- e- easy access to. And and I, I know that you have the rivals information. If you can look that up real, real quick in terms of the class, the class rankings. Yeah. So according to 24 seven, they have their class ranking at next to here, are the three teams in front and the three teams behind USC. You have Toledo in front, North Texas in front, Vanderbilt in front. Then you got USC. Then you got Baylor, Temple, and Duke. And that is number uh, 61, 62, 63. USC at 64. They have 11 commits, zero five stars, one four star, and 10 three stars. This is the most, I mean, this situation looks awful. I mean, you got Washington, who's climbed up to number 12. Oregon's at, sitting at 16. And, and I know that they're going to make a late push, too, because I, I, I've i heard rumblings of a big name there, which I, which I can't quite talk about yet. But there are, are rumblings of a big name. Uh, out of out of uh, out of out of California that maybe Ralph mentioned already today. Um, you got Arizona State sitting at. 33 cows even at 38 i mean colorado's at 45 everybody is ahead washington state's at 55 ralph what numbers do you have uh usc is currently the number 64 recruiting class in the country behind memphis and vanderbilt and one spot ahead of oregon state the (laughs) they're they're not in good shape right now man they're they're really not they've got uh, a couple of the people that they have committed are people that I've covered. Um, they're more developmental. They're not really step in and play right away. Um, guys, uh, the, the one thing that uh, USC is really good at is closing. And so, you know, that they look at last year and getting Drake Jackson. Because here's the thing. If at the end of the day, all of these kids are truly just holding out to see what's going to happen at USC with the coaching situation, and they really want to be at USC, why would they not just commit to USC and then whoever ends up being the coach ends up being the coach? And so they can mm-hmm. depend – they can probably depend on some people flipping. They uh, Like I, I 100% believe that. They could depend on some good players flipping at the last minute. But as it stands right now, they have so many kids who are just in wait-and-see mode and a bunch of others who have committed elsewhere that it, I mean, and, and a lot of their commitments came around the same time frame. They had, uh, I think, just in mid June, five of their eleven committed. 
Since then, three commits. Yep. Three, and they haven't had one for a month. They're probably set for the offensive line. They've, they're taking six, so that's all full up. But, like, everything else, uh, we talk about their receivers all the time. They've got uh, one, and he's been committed since March in in Josh Jackson. Like, they should be collect- – Gary Bryant out of California, uh, LV Bunkley-Shelton, um, you know, Brendan Rice – out here in Arizona, all those guys should be scrapping to just try to get to USC. And it's everything that I'm hearing is that those, none of those guys are are really considering it right now. And that's just it, it is it's a weird time right now. It's a really weird time. And maybe if they beat Notre Dame, that'll wake up some recruits. But in all likelihood, what a lot of people think is if they lose to Notre Dame and they replace Clay Helton and there's a new energy in the program, that that'll make the recruits want to come around. Uh, I mean, well, 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 it, 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 it will if that name is Urban Meyer. You will, I yeah. think you will have a bunch of flips if that name is Urban Meyer. They're gonna be like, okay, cool, we're good again immediately. Don't worry about it. I think you're gonna have. I mean, like you may even have Bryce Young back out of his Alabama commitment to go to to uh USC. He may flip back if Urban Meyer goes. Um. And Notre Notre Dame's favored by eleven points in this game. Who do you? Uh, I'm I'm picking USC. I'm taking USC. I'm I'm taking the points. Who are you? Who do you have? I think that that's a I think that's a really crafty spread. Um, I think twelve is where I've, I've I've got maybe Notre Dame with a twelve point twelve to fourteen point win. So I'd be taking Notre Dame oh. uh, with the points. Oh, you Judas going against the Pac twelve. But 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 you do have to pick with your head, not with your heart. Um, the 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 other game. Well, all, all the Pac-12 games this week are extremely late. There is not aside aside from the um, aside from the Washington State Arizona State game that kicks off at twelve thirty. The USC game kicks off at four thirty. Then you got the Utah-Oregon State game at 5. Then you got the Oregon game at 7. And then you got the uh, Washington-Arizona game kicks off at 8 o'clock. That's 11 o'clock on the East Coast. You know that's not a firm 8 o'clock either. That's like an 8-20. Yeah, exactly. So so we'll go with the next game in order. We got the Washington State-Arizona game. I'm sorry, Washington State, Arizona State game. This is such a, it's on the Pac-12 network. This is such a crucial, crucial game, I feel like, for Arizona State and for the conference because Arizona, the underdogs have consistently been winning and that Arizona State secondary that you love so much is going to get tested. Yes, they are. <laughs> so do you do you think that Mike Leach, who just had a week off. They just came off a bye week. Call this team fat, happy, you know, <laughs> everything else. Is there, like, they have to be motivated. Their defensive coordinator re- resigned, Tracy Clays. Is there any way that Washington State pulls the upset in this game? Oh, I think it's e- it's I think it's equal likelihood that Washington State or, or, or Arizona State wins this game. I don't think I don't see anybody really having the clear advantage 
Um, Washington State has the one thing that I think um, could exploit Arizona State's weakness, um, which is if you can have a quarterback who is like deadly accurate, you're going to be able to move the ball downfield. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be able to get the ball in the end zone. That's not what that means at all, but you'll get yards. Um, and then Arizona State has the one thing that has been the kryptonite for uh, Washington State, which is a mobile quarterback. Because even if – I mean, Washington State has not been able to spy anybody. So uh, first to 30, is that fair? First to 30 wins. <laughs> I think, hey man, if Arizona State can get to thirty, then of course, of course, of course they'll win because proving because get, getting to thirty is difficult for them. But this this line is interesting now. The line is even. Like neither one of these teams like they yeah. think that this is a pick 'em game. And I'm gonna tell you, I it I do believe that Arizona State will be able to run the ball against this Washington State front. And no, Benjamin I think could have his best game of the year. Well, actually, actually, I think the Cal was his best game of the year so, so far, only because he got hit in the backfield every time and still wound up with over 100 yards and two touchdowns. I thought that was phenomenal. And he put your boy um, Edmund Weaver on his butt. Yes, he did. But that's there. happened a couple a, a couple times. There are some times that he ends up a, a catcher as a tackler as opposed to a a, a hitter. Um, yeah, and that'll happen. That's like an NBA center who gets dunked on all the time. Like, well, you're that's the position you're in playing defense. You know, I never, I never really understand the hate that people get for for getting, you know, trucked when you got yourself in position. Probably slowed the guy down. Somebody else might well, have finished the job. Well, well, here's the thing: is even when Evan Weaver gets trucked, you go down. Like there's yeah. not, yeah, he's he's not. You run over him and keep keep going. No, no. There's a if if he gets a lick on you, you're you're going down. Even even if you fall forward, you're you're hitting the turf. Um, but I'm not in love with Anthony Gordon the same way everybody was at the beginning of the season, even when he was throwing all those touchdowns, all of that, I was just still kind of like, he didn't feel, I mean, I know that Gardner Minshew was clearly special because he's gone into the NFL as a rookie and been, been pretty special, but it, it just doesn't feel like that Mike Leach has the quarterback he needs to be special in this offense. They don't have that same fire and motivation they had last, last year. I am for the first time this season, I think, Taking Arizona State. I'm taking Arizona State to win this game. Interesting. Um, I, well, actually, no, no, no. I took them to beat Colorado. No, no, because Colorado won. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. I'm taking Arizona State to win this game. They're playing at home. The fans, I think the fans have to be feeling and looking at that 4-1. and one. I think they're going to show up big. I think the fans are going to show up big. And they are going to, you know, put on a – like help the team out and give a a home field advantage and Washington State's psyche is very fragile right right now so I think if they stop them early and put a couple points up that this team will fold and yeah I mean you you know this George October 12th at 2 p.m in Tempe is still pretty pretty toasty <laughs> on the field with pads on. I mean, that, I think that could probably work to Arizona state's advantage as well. Um, a day game, even in early October can be tough for anybody coming to Tempe, much less somebody coming from, you know, from the Palouse. And so um, maybe a little bit of an advantage for Arizona state there. Mike Leach has kind of owned ASU. 
Um, their last, I think they've only met twice in the last four years. Uh, but both times, uh, I felt like Mike Leach really outcoached Todd Graham. Um, it's no longer Todd Graham anymore. And I don't know how much experience Mike Leach has with his air raid against a 3-3-5 defense. There's just a lot of unanswered questions in this game. I And I, I feel like that's where I'm at. I feel like first to 30 wins, and I've seen what has given Washington State trouble. And I know that there's some turmoil in the program right now. So I'm going to go with – I'm going to go with Arizona State. Yeah, and it, it doesn't feel great, but if I said Washington State, that wouldn't feel good either. So uh, I'm going to go with the home team in the daytime um, against the, 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 you know, the team that didn't, you know, I'm going to go with the team that didn't just fire their defensive coordinator <laughs> or have him resign. Hey, but, um, hey man, but this is the Pac-12. Yeah. You already know how this goes. You already know how this goes. Yeah. So. I'm nervous enough that both of us are on the same side of this. It's like standing on the same side of a rowboat. Like one of us should probably move over. <laughs> standing on the side of a rowboat. That was a good one. That, that's one of your better, better ones. That was really good. I'm, I might steal that on another program. Um, actually, I am going to steal, steal that on the Fox radio show this Sunday. When, whenever me and Mike Harmon are on the same side. I'm going to say, oh, man, it's like standing on the side of a rowboat and and it's national radio, so everybody like will think I invented it. Uh, 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 the We got the Utah Utes at Oregon State. I believe, Ralph, as good as Utah is, this is the Pac-12. Utah should be very fortunate that this is not a Pac-12 after dark game. They should be thinking – they're lucky stars that this is not a 7.30 or 8 o'clock kick or a Friday night game. Because if it were, the chaos that could ensue would be even more than what can. Because Oregon State's feeling good about themselves. Their quarterback, Jake Jake Lutton, is the Pac-12 player of the week. He, it, I mean, this team is playing very well. They're confident. Uh, Artavius Pierce. Jamar Jefferson all playing well in the running back spot. This, Ralph, I feel like this game has an upset in the making or at least a close game for three quarters and Utah pulls out the win. I don't know if I can. Uh, I, it feels like fool's gold. Like I, I, I want to be in love with what Oregon State is doing to get things done. Oregon State, if they got like Nathan Eldridge, their um, uh, talented offensive lineman, Arizona transfer, they got him back. Um, I just think that uh, I think you need to be at absolute full strength if you're going to take on Utah and win. Um, they've been very proficient offensively, though. So I will leave. I'll leave the door open for the possibility of some shenanigans in this game. But I, yeah, th- we talked about it. Like you need tall buildings, right? I need Utah to be my tall building in the Pac-12 South. And and take care of business against Oregon State. So I'm going to say that this, especially when you, when you look at that like Hawaii Oregon State matchup of of you know that or you, you, it's easy to forget, um, especially coming off UCLA. Like Oregon State is not that talented. They have some really good players, but they're not super deep. Um, I think that the threats they have on defense, like Hamilcar Rashad, will be neutralized by Utah's game plan. I think Utah is just playing extremely well. Um, 
head to head, Utah is just a two to three touchdown better team. Um, so I'm gonna give them, I'm gonna give them I'm gonna give them a ten point win. Give Utah a ten point win in this. So Utah's favored by thirteen and a half points, as they should should be, and it's clear Utah's the better team. I 100% agree with everything that you said. My only problem is that confidence is a funny thing. And if Utah messes around and has a fumble early or, you know, something weird happens, that this game could be a lot closer than it needs to be. And Oregon State is just good enough offensively. Isaiah Hodgkins on the wideout. I mean, like, you you can get on top of these Utah wide, wide receivers at times. Utah, uh, USC proved that. So, if they can keep the game close, they're a big play, broken tackle away from from Pierce Jefferson or Hodgkins away from accidentally screwing up the Pac-12. I mean that, and and if, if they were playing in Utah, I would I would this would be a wipeout. But the fact they're playing in Corvallis, Utah State, uh, Oregon State fans are feeling good about their team. They they like the direction that things are headed. They're not getting blown out. They're playing well. You know, that that this is a dangerous team at home. They almost beat Stanford, which gave them a lot of confidence too. So that that's why I'm still picking Utah. I just think that the they pull away late, but this game is a game you should be starring and checking the score in every now and then while you're while you're watching other games and saying, ooh, this could get this could get frisky around around here. Um, so here's my question for you. I got one question for you on this. Is Tyler Huntley's got seven touchdowns, no interceptions on the season. Jake Luton's got 14 touchdowns, no interceptions on the season. Will we see a pick? Who throws a pick first? Like, which quarterback's going to break their perfect streak in this game? Okay. So with, so with that said, I think we have to look at the stats, right? So you have... um. In terms of pass defense, Utah is number five in the conference, and Oregon State's number seven in the conference. They are both reasonably good teams, except for the only thing is Oregon State only has uh, what two interceptions on the season, while Utah has seven. So I think that that the more likelihood is is that you have Oregon State throw a pick. And then here's the other reason why. Is that, is that, uh, is Jake Luton, he is going to throw the ball more times. Like he's already thrown the ball, I think like 170, somewhere around 170 times this season. Tyler Huntley's only thrown the ball like 115. So, so that I mean, so you, you you're going to have more opportunities, and Tyler Huntley is more likely to take care of the football, eat a sack, or run it than throw a pass. So I, I I would say that you know that his 14 touchdown no interception streak is more likely to be broken than Tyler Huntley's, unless it's like a tip, unless it's like a tip ball, a drop ball that gets flying up in the, in the air and somebody else catches. That's pretty much the only way I think. I think maybe I think maybe Huntley throws the first pick just because they're they got more of a vertical offense and, and Oregon State does more of the quick throw stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean I could see Oregon State getting down and trying to force the ball into Hodgins 
and uh, and something happened in there. But this it's pretty cool to be this deep into the season, have almost 300 total passing attempts, and everybody's playing yeah, clean football. Yeah, I mean, even even uh, Justin Herbert just threw his first interception last game against against Cal. I mean, you have yeah, Jaden Daniels only has one. I mean, th- this is. This is some efficient football that's been played. Yep. Um, so I, yeah, yeah. So we, we already made the picks on this game. Um, you know, it, it should be a wipeout. Hope it's a wipeout, <laughs> or at least just a Utah win, but a fun watch at the same time. Okay, we got the Huskies, the Washington Huskies. Who, who? The, it feels like from the message boards and the Facebook groups that I go in and watch that the sky is falling for the Washington Huskies right now because. They lost the cow and they were like, okay, no problem. We weren't going to the college football playoff anyway. It's fine. We'll just win the conference like we did last year. Then they lose to a toothless, what looked like a toothless Stanford team. And now they're like, oh no, everything's bad. The wide receivers can't catch. Jacob Eats is not as good as we thought. The, the, the running backs can't, can't run. The defense isn't great. We're doomed. So Washington is kind of reeling right, right now. And Arizona is flying high. I like, and the game's being played at Arizona. For uh, for some reason, I'm going with I'm going with the Arizona Amsons in this game, man. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm telling you, do not. <laughs> Why not? Oh, every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. I think that Washington bounces back, and I think that gravity takes control. And uh, for for Arizona, and they come crashing down. I I, I think that this Arizona team, I, I won't say is overperformed, but they've taken care of business. They haven't necessarily done anything that surprised me. Um, Texas Tech maybe isn't as good as um, as offensively as they have been in previous years. Um, it took a lot for them to beat UCLA at home. This is still the same team that lost to Hawaii. They have that common opponent. Remember that. They have that common opponent. Um, so I, I just – you're not – it's not going to be hard to move the ball against this Arizona team. And I just – while I have faith in Khalil Tate, I don't have faith in him alone. Um, the receivers for Arizona are still learning on the job. Like they're – they. everyone talks about – you know, Washington's receivers and the crap game they put in against Stanford. Well, that's like every game <laughs> for Arizona. You know, they, they, they are still figuring things out at that position. Um, Washington's defensive line should be able to do some damage. I just, I don't know. I, I don't, I do not like Arizona in this game. Maybe the, maybe they'll keep it close, but I think if you get Arizona down, especially by more than one score, you force Khalil Tate and you force Noel Mazzoni to have to make some calls for Khalil Tate that he'd rather have Grant Gannell in there, you know, executing, then you're going to have some maybe mistakes get made. Uh, oh, really? Oh, really? Cause it, cause you're, cause you're going to be asking your running back to throw the ball in uncon- in uncon- uncomfortable sit- situations into tight windows where play action won't work. Right. Sure. I mean, if you want to phrase it like that, or you just have a, you just have a guy who, and we've seen this at the NFL level too, in Lamar Jackson and 
you know, there, there are several other players that are having this issue right now, actually. Um, and Jacob Eason did a little bit of it last week of you rely on your talent. So you start to throw off your back foot. You start to drop back 15 yards to see if you're, you know, if your guys will get open. Um, and it just, it, if you try to do too much instead of just fit within the framework of the offense, especially when the framework of the offense isn't necessarily designed for you anyway, um, there could be issues. And so I still think this Washington team is very talented I know that they have historically really struggled in Arizona, um, but this is a night game. I don't think it's going to matter all that much. I think that they run the ball. Um, I think they learned from last week. I think they come out and run the ball. And I think that, you know, if, if Steven Montez had an easy of a time against Arizona as, as he did, I think that Jacob Eason's just going to, you know, be that much better. Um, yeah, I I I'm, I have no doubts about this, and this is going to come back to bite me, I'm sure. But I I like Washington by at least fourteen. Oh wow. Okay. Okay. See, I I don't. I I think that Arizona's crowd is going to be into it. <clears throat> Washington's defense got run over last last week, and if and if Kevin Sumlin, if he can stick to the run game, which he hasn't been willing to do all year. He can stick to the run game. Nope. They have a shot in this game. Stanford just gave you the blueprint. Just run the football. Take the air out of the football. Stop trying to be all fancy pants. And then play action. Khalil Tate will have wide open. Your son will have wide open passing lanes. Do the thing that works. It's on film. When you can't stop something, people keep exploiting it. UCLA, Oregon State, Oregon, UCLA couldn't stop a nosebleed running the football. So what did they do? Run it, run it, run it, play action over the top. Run it, run it, run it, play action over the top. Home run every time. It just works. It's simple math. Stop trying to make it too complicated. Arizona, I'm picking you. We are on different sides of the rowboat. Show Ralph Amsden. That he's a Judas, and that he just turned on his—he turned on Khalil Tate, and now I'm the one backing you. I don't know if that makes you feel good or not, but I'm the one backing you. Okay, the last game in the Pac-12 this week is you have the Colorado Buffaloes, who are, you know, they're feeling real good about themselves. M- M- Mel Tucker's team is going in the right direction. Scoring a lot of points, giving up a ton of points, three and two right now. Then they head to Eugene to face the vaunted Oregon Ducks defense. The one of the top defenses in the country, along with Utah. Um, how do you see this game playing playing out, Ralph? Oregon is favored by 21 points in this game, which I think that there's aside if Colorado's defense is so bad that I think they might be able to cover this, but I mean, yeah, so I would lay the points with Oregon, but I don't feel good about it considering Oregon's offensive struggles since they've gotten into Pac-12 play. Yeah, you don't want to be uh, knocking rust off offensively and have Colorado come visit. So I, I do not care for this spread. I, I think that Oregon wins. Um, man, that'd be a story if they didn't. But I, I think that Oregon wins. Um, I think that it's you, you, you have to be uh, you have to put one of your offensive players on defense to help Colorado if you want to get slowed down 
Um, it had to be 12 on 10, I think. Um, I, I just don't, I don't really like Colorado uh, defensively, but I haven't seen anybody stop them on offense yet. And I don't think that the talent necessarily matters. I think that they give Montez enough time to do some things back there that very few uh, quarterbacks can do. I, I I think that he'll be better off than a few of the players uh, that have had to go against that Oregon defense so far. So do not love the spread, maybe 14 to be more accurate, maybe a 35-21 Oregon win. Um, but I do feel like Colorado is going to be able to put the ball in the end zone. I would be, I would be equally as shocked at, at Colorado winning as I would Colorado being shut out. I think Colorado will be able to move the ball, um, but they can't. They can't stop anybody. That's not going to start now. They're not going to be able to do enough against Oregon to uh, to get a win. I I do not believe that. And I think that they, that that crowd needs to be super hostile. I think um, that's not something that that Colorado got when when uh, they came down to play against Arizona State. I think that that's something that they'll get for the first time this year in Eugene. And I think that that could ultimately maybe make the difference. Um, but I, I'm still waiting for Mario Cristobal to prove to me that he is even half the coach that he Ooh. is a recruiter. Uh, and this would be a really, really good chance to do that because he's, he, you know, yep. you, you know, yeah, his I lifetime do. record, you know, I some do. opportunities that they missed out on. Um he, and I think he's settling more and more into that role and getting to know this team a little bit better. Um, and talent's going to end ultimately end up winning out anyway, but you have a much more talented Oregon than Colorado team. So it, that, it shouldn't be that close, but I just think that, um, you know, Colorado's continuity on the offensive side of the football, as far as their coaching staff, they know exactly what they have and they know exactly what to do. I think that continuity will give them a boost, but just talent for talent, um, it would blow my mind if Colorado won this game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially since that Oregon has only given up <clears throat> one touchdown, and that was last week against Cal. The first touchdown that they've given up since the opening week against Stanford, I mean, uh, against Auburn. They haven't even allowed a team in double digits since the Auburn game. And, and it was barely because of a couple busted plays and conservative play on offense that that was even uh, – that they even scored in, in double digits. So I think that this defense is really good. I think that they won't really be challenged too much until the – until the – really the Washington State game, which should put some stress on their secondary. Oh, oh and the Washington game, of course, duh. But here's the thing. I, I want to see – I agree with you, Ralph, that you want to see Mario Cristobal put somebody away. You want to see a big win when you have an opportunity to do it, especially if the Ducks think that they have any opportunity to make the college football playoff. So we will see what's going on with that. Okay, guys, the last thing that we want to finish finish with is basketball season is upon us. And the Pac-12 media day happened, and we wanted to briefly, briefly touch, touch on, because we are going to turn transition into some more basketball to the Pac-12 hoops. The preseason media poll, they have Oregon 1, Colorado 2, Washington 3, Arizona 4, USC 5, all of them receiving first place votes, Arizona State 6, Oregon State 7, UCLA 8, Utah 9, 
Stanford 10, Washington State 11, and Cal 12. Yeah, I, uh, I'm Oregon and Colorado got the same number of first place votes. So Oregon just barely edged Colorado in the in the preseason media poll. I think it'd be a lot of fun to see Colorado put an elite team out there. Tyler Bay, one-time Arizona State commit, he's a very good basketball player. Um, you know, they, they can do a little bit of everything. Are they tough enough? Uh, that'll be really, really interesting to see. Um, uh, so I think that I think that Colorado is really high, and that that'll be cool to see if they can meet those expectations. Um, I think Oregon State and Arizona State could probably uh, have some cause to feel a little bit disrespected um, by this media poll and Arizona State's back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances, and they return quite a bit of talent. um, And they're having – I think they're coming off one of their best recruiting classes ever. And they're sitting at number – Six, Arizona was terrible last year, and they're at number four just off the strength of the freshman class that they brought in. And I, I feel like Oregon State, uh, they, they play well. They're well coached. And I, I think that seven, if you ask them, being picked seventh, I think they'd be disappointed by that. Uh, I guarantee you that this won't this preseason poll won't look anything like what it ends up being. You know, Stanford or Utah, they could bounce back anytime. UCLA could bounce back anytime. It's going to be a fun year. The thing that is standing out the most to me right now is the expectations on Colorado. How will they rise to that occasion? Yeah, and the other thing that sticks out to me is Oregon at one because aside from Peyton Pritchard, it feels like that they lost their entire team. And I just and it make and it makes you think. Oregon has had a bunch of guys: Lewis, Lewis King, Kenny Wooten. And a bunch of other Tyler Dorsey, other guys who would be seniors now, who would have who have gone on to the NBA to not have success, or not or not be drafted, or not make rosters, and leave way too early. Imagine if those guys were still at Oregon, they would have the number one team in yeah. the nation probably. And it's I respect I, I respect their decisions, but I I do think that. They were mistakes. Yeah, I think that Kenny Kenny Wooten another year under Dana Altman, because th- this is the last level in which you're going to get coached by people who care about you getting better. <laughs> you're at the next level. You're either ready to go or not. And so um, I think it would have really been good for Kenny Wooten to spend another year in Eugene. Dude, that is an understatement. Him, Lewis, Lewis King as well. Uh, I mean, at the Jordan, Jordan Bell, even, um, I mean, dude, the, the, the list goes on and on. They keep just leaving too early and it's inexplicable. Um, and, but, but you do have to give Dana Altman a ton of credit because he keeps rebuilding this roster every single year. Dude, they got grad transfers. Yeah. They got recruiting classes. Pe- people want to keep the dude cheating, but, but may- maybe he's just damn good. Um, and what what do you think of the Pac-12 releasing them uh, an all-conference preseason team for the very first time, but putting ten players on the first team and five on the second team? I think that's I, I think that's very Larry Scott of them. <laughs> that's very Larry Scott of them. So it's the first. It's basketball. There is only five spots on a Pac-12 team. There's only five people on the court. You can't have 10 players on a team. And literally, 
what how many teams are re- represented? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight teams are represented. Eight teams. You can't have somebody on every single team. And then if you include the second team, too, that's 10. Yeah, you got 10, 10 teams represented in the first and second team. Dude, this is this feels like a participation trophy as opposed to an actual like ranking. This is this is silly. I mean, I, I don't know who else does this. It, it would be weird. It would be like the Pac-12 first team for football having 22 players on it on just the yeah, offensive yeah. side of the ball. Two quarterbacks. Like I, I, yeah, so I don't I don't know if I'm a fan of this. Like, why not just split it? First team, second team, third team. Yeah, I, I would rather have three. Anybody would have been. I would fine rather have that. three teams. I mean, dude, dude, dude. That's like that's like having a valedictory, a salutatorian, and then a, a thirdatorian, and then we're gonna have a fourthatorian. Just, just, just because we don't we don't want to make the kids, the other kids who had four feel bad, as opposed to just honoring the the people who had the best record. Another way they could have done this, if just looking at it, is they could have had a first team and a second team. Then they could have had a freshman team because four of these 15 are freshmen. You have Nico Mannion at Arizona, uh, Isaiah Stewart at Washington, um, Nafali Dante at Oregon, and Josh Green at Arizona. Now, Josh Green and Nico Mannion are both like top 20 prospects in the country. And so I get setting that expectation. I'm still not comfortable with putting them on an all-conference team when they haven't done a single thing yet. Um, maybe give them their own team of like, hey, he, these are the freshmen to watch out for. But you could have made space for like a five-person first team and a five-person second team if you just would have had a freshman Dude. team um, or a newcomer's team because you know I know Arizona State's got a couple of JUCO guys who are coming in who are really really highly touted. So. I don't know. I just I feel it feels like this is a really simple thing. This is what's that whole thing that uh, white people do put raisins in the potato salad or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They they just this is some raisins <laughs> in the potato salad stuff. I a hundred percent agree. And if we were running the conference and the PR, it would be done much more efficiently. Larry Scott put his foot in his mouth again about the name, image, and likeness thing. This was absolutely frustrating for uh, me because. Like people are completely on the wrong side of history on this. I mean, there are so many people that understand that players should be able to trade on their name, image, and likeness, and he just is just doubling down with the NCAA, and it, and it's kind of inexplicable to me. He says, and I quote: "We are for choice, and if young people want to earn money from their name, image, and likeness, or get paid to play, they should have that opportunity. It's called pro sports." College is different. You get an ed- education. It's amateur. They're students. They are defining characteristics that we like to see and not get those lines blurred. Ha! That's rich coming from the from from the rich guy making five million dollars a year. Ha! Ha! Every yeah 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 yeah. Listen, listen. I'm all for a choice. Then how about this? How about you just go be a pro if that's what you want to do? If you want to make make money. Go be a pro. It's just the only pathway to the thing that they're eventually trying to get to. If the XFL had an option where you could be one and done, a lot of these kids with the XFL sign a two-year deal and try to make it to the NFL from there. If there was some other league that didn't involve education where you could go and play football to prepare yourself to go to the NFL, 
college football was out on a bunch of these players because th- their ultimate priority is not necessarily to be in school. Their priority would maybe be school if college football programs themselves didn't treat it um, like like education was a secondhand thing. Um, you know, the, they, they have to spend a certain amount of time with their coaches. They're expected to be football, football, football. They got most of these guys taking online classes. So they're not even in classroom situations, getting an education around other students, having that robust collegiate experience. Like they're, they're, they're surrounded by all of this money all the time, this money spent on equipment, this money spent on coaching salaries. And they know that they're the only ones not, that that's not trickling down to. And you can like, oh, trip our system. They are making a trade. They're making a trade. And so, it, you know, it's just incredibly, incredibly frustrating thing. For someone to cash $5.3 million worth of checks every single year and think of himself in the same light as like a small town YMCA uh, community wrestling director, you know, saying, well, I don't want the kids to get paid to play 8U soccer because they're not professionals out there putting the cones on the field himself. That's not Larry Scott. Larry Scott is not intimately involved with the he is overlord getting paid massive amounts of money to make sure that they can continue to fill their pockets and not have to worry about the revenue streams filtering down to anybody else so that they might get less. He's the worst. And the other, and the other part of, about this is how stupid is this going to look when you have and to backtrack will. off of all of this? Because this is going to happen. Yeah, and you even had Mark Mark Few, the coach at, at the basketball coach at Gonzaga, say, "Well, the only thing I we, we well we have some really smart guys on on top of this, and they'll get it done. But I just don't like the fact that politics got involved, and you're legislating, and the and the governor of California should be he he's got a state that borders Mexico. They should fix that problem, right? I'm like, come on, like you doofus. This was a doofus statement, though." Like that, that, okay, I agree that politics should not have become a part of this. However, they had no choice at this point in time. The NCAA wasn't going to do anything. And if they weren't forced to do it by California, Florida has legislation, New York, Colorado, and um, South Carolina. Alabama's working on some stuff too. If they aren't forced to do it, they're not going to do it. So, so sorry, politics had to get involved, but sometimes that is the only thing that that's the only way. I mean, it, it, it's it, it's re- re- ridiculous, like that some of these coaches are right. and 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 conference commissioners are just doubling down on this garbage, dude. Thank you guys. I uh, appreciate your time. Appreciate your energy on the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. Um, yeah, we're we're gonna have some great things coming up for you guys soon. We're we are running up our guest list now. So so send in any of your questions, comments, anything. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. Who you guys want to hear, who you like, all that stuff. You guys, peace out. Catch you guys later. <laughs>